A steal by Tippett. The game on his stick. He scores! OT in OT. Tippett wins it for Philadelphia. 3-2 is your final. This is episode 105 of the Liberty O. Danny Deemer here with Chris Stumpo and the one and only Derek Dunn, suitable alias on Twitter. How are we doing, gentlemen? Good. Real good, real good. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Since we last recorded, I don't think they've lost a game. Don't think they've no. lost a game. Jamie Drysdale doesn't even need to play, and we'll still win. <laughs> it's really no, I can't wait till he gets back out there. But he needs to play for my entertainment value. Absolutely, absolutely. Derek, I want to get your immediate thoughts on the trade. Now that we've had a week to kind of sit on it, think about it, uh, I know it's aged well for everyone in the group chat, but let me let me just get your initial thoughts and then your week later thoughts. So my initial thoughts were um, a little bit of excitement, but a sort of tepid excitement because the excitement was clouded by, wait, what the fuck is this real? What did I just read? Because that was how I was never massively disappointed there was never a, oh my God, William is no longer a flyer moment with me, as evidenced by the fact that I am still calling him William, and I will call <laughs> him William right up to his retirement. But there was never a, holy shit, Gauthier is no longer a flyer for me moment. But there was a, yeah, wait, we just traded who? <laughs> we just traded who? I didn't think Danny had, uh, I, I don't want to say the balls, but... I just didn't think that would cross his mind to trade Gauthier. So there was a lot of that for me initially. And then he explains that actually Gauthier wanted out. And for the next six days, that's kind of where I focused. But the most recent thought I had was, and I was kind of just thinking this to myself during a car ride, I was trying to think, why are we doing this from a hockey perspective? Pretend William didn't force his way out and say, I think Philadelphia is China or whatever the hell happened there. Just why do you want to do this from a hockey perspective? And I came to an answer for both the Ducks and us that could be mutually beneficial. Like tactically, Jamie Drysdale may work better for us than Gauthier ever did. And contrastingly, Gauthier may work better for them than Jamie Drysdale ever would have. And his World Juniors kind of laid the blueprint for both the good and the bad. The good is like when that kid had the puck in the offensive zone, it was finding the right guy every time, including if the right guy was a shot. Like his shot diet, if you want to call it that, when he chooses to shoot the puck. That's not a problem when he's in the offensive zone and Team USA was cycling the puck around. It wasn't a problem then. Where it was a problem was when he was using his skating and using his power and his skill to get active off the rush. Every time he's on the rush, he would just default to just flinging wristers out of nowhere that's when all the terrible shots would come in and if i'm danny i'm watching that and i'm seeing a kid who is 
literally killing plays off the rush on a regular basis. And I'm sitting here thinking, wait a minute. I'm trying to build my team as a rush-centric team. I'm trying to build the 22 Florida Panthers, the Colorado Avalanche of the last five years, the New Jersey Devils. You can't build a team like that, and one of your centerpieces is just flinging out wristers from Kentucky. Meanwhile, the Ducks, they're not really trying to build a team like that. They obviously want to play off the rush. Every team does, but it's a question of degree. They want to play off the rush a little bit. The Flyers live off the rush. They want to get off the rush 18 times a game as a, at a low end. And for them, they saw what Gauthier can do when he's on the wall with like little passes to get Carlson going in stride, to get McTavish going in stride. And then when those guys are making decisions, which he can't do on the rush, they'll make the decisions for him, get him in the offensive zone, and let him become the goal scorer that he can be. Whereas, flip the script for us, and I promise this rant is over soon, <laughs> but flip the script for us, Jamie Drysdale. We try to get our defensemen so active in the rush. Like there was that uh, statistic Mike Kelly posted right after the trade, right when Jamie was about to play his first game. We were like top five in the NHL in zone entries by a defenseman, in second in the NHL in scoring chances off the rush by defensemen. Our defensemen are everywhere off the rush, and we haven't had a weapon like Jamie Drysdale, to do that with. Like, we've had to settle for Cam York. I love Cam York, but the kid ain't that fast. He, as savvy as he is, he's got to work double time just to get in the spot to where he can lead a rush. With Jamie, it's effortless. He takes three strides, and he's ahead of the forwards. Yeah, I think that shines a light on how good of a skater Jamie is. Because it's not even uh-huh. calling York a bad skater. Because Rook's a fantastic skater, but it really goes to show you how much Jamie can move and how fluently. Like, it really looks like he's floating out there. If you take a look at the thread that I made, I finished Mm -hmm. it today finally. But if you, like, look at that and just go down each one, it's pretty evident how just he's everywhere at once. Like you said, it's he's joining the rush, good chance in the slot, and then he's already back in defensive position the next moment. So it's... Really, really, really good to have, like you said, York who can skate, Sandheim who's a great skater, now Drysdale on a top four. So that's definitely – I mean, I can see from a hockey – like throughout what happened with Gauthier and how he didn't want to be a flyer, from a purely hockey perspective, yeah, you can definitely make a case how it can make sense for both sides because adding a guy, like you said, we don't we haven't had a right-handed defenseman who can move like this since when? Like ever? Eric Desjardins? Yeah, like, I was going to say ever. <laughs> like right-handed defenseman on the Flyers. Are are we forgetting anybody? Or I I remember Meltzer, Bill Meltzer, threw out the name Mark Howe is like the last time we've had a skater on this level, and that doesn't mean he's going to be Mark Howe per se. But like you would have to go this far back to find the last time the Flyers had a truly elite skater as a right shot defenseman. And people say ghosts, and I know ghost wasn't a righty, but it's a different kind of skating with mm-hmm. with Drysdale than than how ghost was, in my opinion. 
like a lot of guys are smooth. A lot of guys are great on their edges. Well, not a lot, but plenty of guys. You know, you got York, who's fantastic on his edges. You got Ghost, who is fantastic on his edges. And Jamie is, too. What separates him from those guys is he has burst. He can explode off of his edges. He mixes explosiveness and speed with that edge work and that agility. And that's what makes him special as a skater. You don't normally get the complete package like this. Well, that's why so we were exciting. starved for speed as a team. We were starved for a guy who could help the power play, help quarterback the power play. He checked so many boxes for us in, in a return for that trade that it's almost hard to to be upset about Cutter Gauthier in the end. Like I want to hammer home how appreciative I am of the Flyers and honestly the Ducks and other organizations just for keeping that under wraps, not letting anything leak, and getting a win-win trade at the end of the day, because it so easily could have went south. And I mean, we can get into the scenario of us not even getting Mitch Cobb at all last oh, year God. and what this timeline would be like now. But yeah, I'm just so happy that they were able to keep that under wraps because they were told last world juniors, right? Am I correct on that? Uh, they were told right after world championships in May, end of May, that tournament ended. So very late May, early June is when this whole thing started. Man, they really kept that under wraps. They had us they had us all fooled, you know. Definitely, you're still thinking Cutter Gauthier is going to be a part of the future. Thinking he's going to be the one, too, alongside Matt Vemichkov. And then one day you're watching the Flyers versus the Penguins. And all that gets thrown for a loop. But, yeah, th- th- that guy is unreal, Jamie Drysdale. I cannot wait to watch him get back out there. Um he fills out that defense in a way long-term where you can start to make sense of the team and start to get excited. Like, okay, if they add a center down the line now, continue to develop well, continue to add, you, you can see the skeleton of what they want to build. It's starting. And your article really hammered that home also. Which my article kind of brings up what I wanted to say, and maybe this, can, this is a good dovetail to the whole trade talk. That trade really gave me a lot of respect for Danny Briere as a GM. Because before this, like, the pro for off trade was nice. Uh, I'm still a little bit pissed off that he passed on Gabe Perot. We don't have to go all into that. But, you know, before this, I wouldn't say there was anything that would have made me 100% confident in him as a GM in the same way, there was nothing he did that made me think we had to chuck Fletcher his ass, but <laughs> it was still very much a wait and see kind of attitude on my part towards GM Danny Briere. But pulling this off, pulling the wool over everybody's eyes for months, getting the entire league to participate in the facade, I, that is a level of aptitude that I did not expect to see from him. So in that way, it gave me a lot of respect for him as a GM, but also it gave me a lot of respect for him. Like I was saying in my first article and even a little bit in my second, now I can start to see the timeline. Now I can start to see what this guy's vision is really about. Like before I was a little uneasy with the whole team because it was like, here we are, 
fighting and scraping and clawing at the hope of making the playoffs. And then, you know, our big hope on Twitter is that the 18-year-olds and the 19-year-olds are going to come save us. And it's like, well, this sounds a lot like Ron Hextall 2.0, okay? You know, here we are, the eighth seed that's just begging for a 19-year-old to come save us. Yeah, this sounds like it could go wrong fast. But then he pulls this off. And you can say he was forced into it, or you could say this was always what he wanted to do. He just got a new bargaining chip with William. But either way, now you see, oh, this is it. He, he wants to rebuild, yes, but not around 18-year-olds, around 22-year-olds, around guys who are about to take that next step. Now I'm wondering, who's the next Jamie Drysdale? Who's that next trade? Casey Middlestat. Casey Middlestat, Trevor Zegers, Martin Natchez. Like, there are so many guys now that you can say, oh, who's he going after next? And I'll actually believe that he's trying to do it. I believe right now he's making a call on Anton Lundell. Before, I had no reason to believe that. Now I have every reason to believe it. And, like, you can definitely, like, Definitely make the case that he was forced into it because I mean, there's not a lot of situations where a guy's like, "Hey, I don't want, I don't want to play for you, and I'm not going to sign for you." But if his plan is to actually go for restricted free agents, guys who are about to sign new contracts, and maybe their teams are kind of, you know, you always have those situations one or two in the summertime. So if that's the way you want to go, I think that's definitely. They they have the draft picks to do that. What's a, it's what, a new, like, yeah? It's a new way to look at the draft picks. Like I remember yeah. before, we were talking to DMs. We're going to trade Sean Walker so we can get these draft picks. And then I'm sitting here going, okay, but why? Why do I give a shit about 28th overall? And you were making the point. Yeah, we can use 28th overall, and we can package it with this and this to go do this. And my yeah. whole thing was, okay, but will Danny actually do that? And at the time, there was no reason, positive or negative, to rule one way or the other. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. Now, after seeing what he's already been willing to do with a fifth overall pick, yeah, there's a lot of reason to believe that he would package, let's say, two, three first-round picks and go get somebody massive who's a restricted free agent who can help this team for decades down the line. He would actually do that. And the funny thing is, I've been saying that Danny could vouch for it on this podcast since like months after the miscom draft. Like I was like, I do not think they want to keep all of those picks. And I think they're gonna have more, obviously, with what they have in Walker and a couple guys who could potentially get chipped. If I mean like like I just said, he I mean they have the draft picks to go and do that. So if I mean if they want to get crafty and do something like that and maybe not even a, a 22, 20 21, 22, or maybe they, they trade up. I mean, I know trade up in the draft really doesn't happen a lot. There's not a lot of situations where you can point at and say, oh, look, this team went from mid-20s up to, like, the teens. You know what I mean? It doesn't really happen, but especially in hockey. But in terms of maybe a restricted free agent, yeah, I could definitely see it. It's really interesting because I really wasn't thinking that way until you kind of brought it up in the group chat a couple of days ago. And ever since then, I was like, damn, like – if that was in the back of Briere's mind before this whole Cutter Gauthier situation happened back in May, 
that definitely would have cemented it, right? Like if he was like, okay, maybe I'm thinking about doing that. Like that sounds crazy, but you have to lay everything on the table. But if that's the hand that I'm dealt, you really don't want to play here. Then like, yeah, I'll go that way. I'll, I'll go get 21, 22 year olds who maybe aren't in the best cahoots with their current team. You know what I mean? Like Trevor Zegers is obviously going to get traded. I mean, that's not a secret. If, these kind of like where there's smoke, there's fire, as Danny says. Mm-hmm. Our, our Danny, not Danny Briere. But like, if <laughs> they're already talking about Trevor Zegers going now, like I figured, I feel like it's only going to heat up towards trade deadline time and then toward uh, towards uh, draft time. So we'll see. What Especially because we saw it for Beak with what he just did yeah. to Drysdale. This dude does not hold back. This dude is ruthless, and as I laid out in my article, I think he has a vision that is longer term than Trevor's egress. As far as, I don't think we as a city, and I don't just mean the Flyers front office, I don't think any hockey fan in the city of Philadelphia truly wants to sit through an honest-to-God rebuild. But Pat Verbeek doesn't care what anybody in Anaheim wants. He's going to do what he wants to do. You can see it. It's a different market. You can't even compare mm -hmm. the two. Yeah, you can't. And so what it looks like Danny has done, either by happenstance or by his plan, he's sort of done a rebuild the only way you could realistically do it in Philadelphia, which is rebuilding on a two-year timeline instead of a four-year timeline. Mm -hmm. Using those restricted free agents who are 20 instead of 18. It's definitely interesting. An interesting way of going about it because this whole go, uh, Cutter Gauthier thing definitely pushes you in that direction. And uh, they have the draft capital to do it. And I mean, if you had to pick between, oh, I'm talking to you too, Dan, if you had to pick between Risto or Walker, you obviously go Walker, right? Like, I'm not crazy in in having that thought process. I mean, I know Risto is locked into that contract for what, three more years at like what, 5.1 million. But for me, Walker, a guy who's, I'm not saying he's bad. But he's obviously having an outlier year. He's going to obviously be looking in to cash in on this year. 29 years old. I, I think he'd have more value going at the trade deadline, especially since his play has recently dropped off. But what do you guys think? And, and I think or, the, well, the trade for Drysdale also doesn't turn them into a that. net negative for this year's team, which is easier to sell to the fan base just from a pure PR perspective. So I think the Drysdale trade, confirms even more so that they should cash out on Walker. I mean, dude, come on. You got him as a part of a three-team trade. He was essentially a throw-in for Ivan Provov. You got basically him and Bonk. So if you in turn flip him for another asset and then end up getting your guy with that asset, I mean, that's that's a master class. But what do you think, Derek? Absolutely. I mean, at least with Risto, he kind of gives you something you don't already have. Now, whether you value that thing a whole lot is a different question, but he, he's a shutdown guy, an honest-to-God shutdown guy who will play a physical game. And if you want to throw that over the boards for 20 minutes a night, especially in the playoffs, you at least have that option. Where is with Sean Walker? With the inclusion of Jamie Drysdale, what is he doing that all of our guys don't already do? Yeah, Not a whole especially lot. that top four. Yeah. That top four can fly. Yeah. I love it. Well, the Flyers actually fly now. It's kind of great. 
<laughs> like you said, it's, it's it's really weird. I mean, Ivan Provera was a good skater, but seeing a number nine on the back end skate the way that Jamie skates, it's fucking it's eye opening. I know it's only been two games, and it feels like eight years since we've last seen him, but. I just miss watching him skate. As weird as that sounds, like it's it's really fun. No, seriously, that like, dude, though. this dude is like Matt Barzal on the back end as a skater. Yeah. Okay, like you think of all the elite forwards in the league who are just next level skaters, and there's a little bit of a difference between all of them when you look at like Jack Hughes and Nathan McKinnon and Connor McDavid. They're not the same skater. Matt Barzal, throw him in that mix. They're not all the same, but they're all just bringing a level of skating that you don't really see on a regular basis. And Jamie Drysdale is one of the few defensemen in the NHL or around the NHL who bring a level of skating that you just don't see every day. I mean, I can count for you on one hand the guys who are doing what he's doing on the back end as a skater. Go ahead. Uh, Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, list over. Actually, Miro Heiskanen, throw him in there too. After those three guys, list over. In terms of skating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In terms of skating. Like, it's not as if he is literally Kale McCarr right now. Yeah. It's not as if he's literally Quinn Hughes right now. Is much, And so I don't preface that too much. I feel like people forget. Zach Wierenski when he's healthy. Zach Wierenski when he's healthy. Yeah, you know what? He's dead so often I literally forgot about him, but he's on that level. And here's what I want to press to people about Jamie's age. Kale McCarr debuted in the NHL in his age 20 season in the postseason, in the playoffs. He was already 21 by all, you know, basically he was already 21. His actual first regular season, his Calder Trophy run, was his age 21 season, which Jamie is in right now. The Ducks rushed him to the NHL, so it feels like he's been around forever. This kid yeah. is so young in defenseman years. It's unbelievable. Like, you thought Cam York was a baby as a defenseman. He's a whole-ass year and more. He's like 15 months younger than York. It's unbelievable. Yeah, he went in the COVID draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when everybody was home in draft. I mean, yeah, I do remember that. They did like why would An- Anaheim rush a guy like Jamie Drysdale to the NHL? Like I know he's definitely capable. Like it's not like he's playing bad or has been playing bad. I mean he's been hurt and dealing with injuries to start his career. But a guy like that, like you drafted him what sixth overall? Why would you rush him to the NHL? It's not like you're a playoff team that like Walked into a top ten pick because you had a bad year because of injuries. Why? Like that doesn't make. I mean, I'm I'm fortunate for it. Like, it wasn't he great in his rookie season though? Uh, he was like good. His, oh, he wasn't insane. Yeah. Like you know, his as, age, as, as good as a rookie could be on a Anaheim Ducks squad during a yes. COVID year. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you know what I think? Fortunate it is? for it. What? I think the Ducks were just like us. Okay. I think the Ducks watched this kid skate and was like, holy shit, my life is now different. Like they, they, yeah. the Ducks watched this kid skate and he said, they said, I can't watch this in the AHL. Put him out there now. <laughs> I can't send this kid back to major juniors. Look at him skate. I need to look at this every day. 
what did me, you, and Zach just got done talking about like last night about like, hey, like everyone talks about the Ducks and how they trade. I mean, we're going to get to the Flyers very soon and talk about the actual team, but everybody talks about the Ducks and how they have like an influx of defensemen who play the right side. Like, we just got to talk, like, do they? Like, uh, Zellweger, he plays the right side, right? But not naturally, right? Yep. Mitchukov does not play the right side. And then who else do they have? Who's that other guy? I think you know his name. Tristan Leno, if they're 100% confident in him as a right side guy. But he's a second-round pick from 2022 who's played seven games at the NHL level. I don't know why they'd be 100% confident in him. So they really don't have a guy that you can look at and be like, that's a long-term fit on the right side. So they really did... They didn't have like a, a a crazy amount of depth on that right side. As, as much as people go out to think, yeah, Mitchukov's going to be good. Zellweger is probably going to be really good too. But they're both left side guys, and doesn't really people can make an argument. Well, you can have an elite left side and then have a guy compliment him on the right, same as somebody who can compliment Jamie on the left side. But in terms of having a guy, a prospect, right handed on that team, they really don't have it. And we kind of just like came to terms with that. I was like, oh shit, like. They're not as deep there as we thought, right? They're not, and that's what it really made me think. Oh, so this isn't like taking a position of strength and leveraging it for a position of weakness. Kind of is, is, in, in I mean, a way. Like, yeah, like... You don't need all four guys to be, like, superstars, you know what I mean? Like, right. they, they must really, 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 really like Minchukov, obviously. I mean, he's already playing really well as a 19-year-old. And then they must reason. really think Zellweger is good. For good reason. And there's a little bit of that. But I, I think it's not so much that he was being forced out of the lineup and he was just, you know, there were too many guys to even give him playing time, as mm-hmm. I think it's been made out to be. I think it really is. Uh, Pat Verbeek is thinking on a timeline that is longer than Jamie Drysdale. As weird as that is to say because of how young well, he is, I think he's legitimately like, I don't even care what my lineup looks like until three years from now. When Jamie originally got traded, his first media availability, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't he say, and I'm pretty sure me and you talked about this because we both called it, wasn't he? Didn't he say something along the lines of, like, yeah, we knew like one of us was eventually going to get shipped because, like, yeah, it was a crowded. Like so, like the, the the vibe of that was obviously around the room. If he's sitting there being like, "Yeah, like we knew eventually one of me, Zellweger, or Mitchukov were probably going to be traded for a, a left winger or a center," so I think that was very telling. And imagine playing with that in your head, like, "Yeah, I'm going to go out trying to yeah. develop, trying to play my game, knowing full well that Pat for Beaks in the back room trying to trade <laughs> my ass." <laughs> and now we're going to get Zegers. Yes. Now Speaking we're of which, that's a great transition into some of our questions. First one I want to bring up, <clears throat> sorry, is from our boy Adam. He says, ideal trade proposal for Trevor Zegers. Ooh, I think we were just talking about this too, weren't we? Yeah. Roughly. Well, in, in um, the group chat, yes. What did we say, Derek? Do you remember what it was? Yeah, actually, Derek, really? didn't you have a good framework for one? I feel like the framework is going to look like a prospect in two first-round picks. If I had to, like, guess who the prospect that they would want is, I think they're shooting for Samu Tamala. I think 
just based on a the timeline he's about as young as we can possibly give up that also has some upside there mm-hmm. but b i mean look if you like gochie if you like william let me introduce you to a kid who skates even faster and has just as much of a rocket well, if their new motto is like size and stuff, that's like the last place they would look. Like if you're training away at Trevor Zegers because he's too small and too skilled, I mean, I'm not saying that's why they're trading away, but they're trading him away because they want to go to a different kind of game, quote unquote, bigger, tougher, skilled, but just bigger. They, I don't think they'd be looking at Tuamala or Brink. You know what I mean? Those are the first two guys that go out, go out my head. Now, I'm like, okay, definitely yeah. not those guys. So but then maybe. you're looking at Forrester. Yeah. Tyson, for sure. Tyson, two firsts. Tyson and a, Tyson. Uh, I don't think he's worth two firsts in Tyson Forrester. I think he's a really good player. But that's a lot. Okay, I, I think. Danny, what Danny, I'm would really you do that? Is Forrester and two firsts? Is that what you said? Yeah, like I'm. A, I'm not crazy, right? That's a little bit too I much. Just, for, I don't even know if it good. would take all of that to be. I, I, don't, think, no, I don't think it would. Yeah. Now to be clear, I feel like. You could probably talk him, talk them down from there. I'm talking about this is probably what Verbeek's going to be asking for, and you're not talking him down too much lower. Like, it's going to be for sure Tyson and A first. And then as far as – I don't even think you get to that point. I think it's more like Tyson, A first, and then maybe like a third. I think that would be like where you talk them down. It's more reasonable as far as like because they're gonna ask for a haul they're absolutely gonna ask for a haul and they should get a haul i mean yeah absolutely i mean i kind of went on my you i know. mean he he's just he's a high profile player um highly marketable i know that doesn't mean anything from a, a hockey sense but still young rfa all the skill in the world all the flash in the world i mean yeah, his value his value is definitely still there. I see what you're saying. I was talking about this with somebody else just yesterday. This dude in a big market would be viewed a whole lot differently than the way he is viewed now. Because I feel like people forget. People forget the Trevor Zegras that existed in what was it, the 2021 World Juniors, the year York won the gold medal. York won that gold medal in large part because Trevor Zegras was literally carrying Team USA. Like, that man was doing a Herculean carry job. He had something like 18 points in seven games, and this is before they introduced, like, they got rid of Russia and brought in some other country nobody knows the name of so they can all have eight-point stat pad fests. This is before that, where points meant a little bit more at the World Juniors. And he's putting up 18 points in seven games. Didn't he score the gold medal winning goal? Either way, he was such a big player. And it had nothing to do with the Michigans or the lob passes or any of the flash or the bullshit. He was straight up winning games with his ability to generate offense. And nobody Mm -hmm. watches Anaheim. So nobody knows he is the same dude he's always been. Anaheim isn't in any meaningful games, so nobody knows. This is the same kid. He is the same killer. If you give him an opportunity where the platform is larger and the games are higher stakes, 
that's the kids you're getting. We already know the talent has transitioned to the NHL. We've seen it. There are not many players who put up two 60-point seasons before they turn 22. We already know the talent was there. The accusation is that it's all empty calorie nonsense. The only reason it's empty calorie, the only reason those points mean nothing, is because the Anaheim Ducks play meaningless hockey. If you put him in a situation where he is playing meaningful hockey, he will rise to the occasion and be a meaningful player because we have seen him do it. And my favorite quote from that World Junior team, I remember he was interviewed before they went on the ice. He was, uh, I think it was, it was Sweden they versed, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was like, yeah, uh, Sweden hasn't been tested yet in this tournament. And, and you're like, damn right, we're going to be the ones testing them. And I remember they went out there and they, they, they didn't destroy Sweden. But like you said, he was great in that game. And just like the way he said that, I was like, damn. That was like, that would have lit a fire under my ass if I was in that locker room with him. Because you know he was in there hyping the boys up. So I, I definitely agree with the fact like, oh, they're so at USD. Nice. Like, Brink played like a third a third line grinder role on that team, and he played it pretty well too. I remember that tournament. I feel like people just kind of forget about that side as Egress specifically because he hasn't been asked to be that guy. Nobody's asking him to be that guy in Anaheim, and I don't just mean because they have a small market. I mean like they're in a smaller market, and the team is ass. Like (laughs) if you put him in a situation where he's in March, and if he has a big night, his team's going to the playoffs, this kid's going to be a killer. Like, that's he's already shown that's who he is. We can, like, we can't use World Juniors to prove that he can come in and score 90 points in the NHL. Luckily, he's already scored a lot of points in the NHL, so we don't need it. What we can do is we can use World Juniors, we can use his pre-draft stuff, to tell us about who he is as a person, how he reacts to the big games, this kid gets better in the big games. He always has. We'll see. I mean, I mean, it would definitely. I mean, be I hope he's playing thing. for us. Yeah. I mean, right you now, right, right, he broke his foot. Pretty sure he broke his foot what a couple of weeks ago, there. Yeah, something like an ankle injury or something. Or yeah, yeah, his ankle. Yeah. Yeah, the timing of that's pretty annoying, huh? Yeah, now he can't be a flyer for another month. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> that, that definitely screams like if it happens. I mean, I'm, we'll get to talking about the actual flyers now. But if that actually happens, that screams like trade, uh, draft trade. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But the actual flyers team. Are 24, 14, and 6 and second in the Metro. And I know you had that written down before the season started, Derek. Oh, yeah. That's what we all anticipated. Right? Ninth best record in the league. In the entire fucking league right now. <laughs> January 17th, the Flyers have the ninth best record. Like, if I would have told you that fucking September, Danny, what would you have told me, bro? Well, imagine you told me that and you said their power play was the worst in the league. I'd be like, you're joking. Power play right? is garbage, dude. What, what would you say? I You cannot make sense of it. Wait, hold you're on. Trying to, you're Let trying me... to hoodwink me. That's what I would say. Three, three <laughs> things, right? September, I woke up to both of you. I'm like, Flyers are 24, 14, and 6. Second in the Metro by January 17th. 
They have the second best PK in the league at 86% with the worst power play the NHL has ever seen. You'd be like, get the <laughs> fuck out of my face, dude. Yeah, I'd be like, Stumps, you got to put that pen down. You got to put it down right now. <laughs> seriously. No, but, like, seriously. Yeah. You got to lay off whatever drugs you're doing. Stuff. <laughs> and, like, Literally, that would be my reaction. <laughs> my I did the math. Since January 2nd, the Edmonton game, up until the St. Louis game on Monday, they're 5 for 25 on the power play, which is 20%. 20% is about 15th in the NHL. That's what Nashville's power play is at. So that's average. Like, they haven't been... Like we're in the group chat, like oh the the fucking power play, like finally, and like they're just being average, you know. But like for <laughs> us and what we've seen for the last fucking four months, three months, whatever long it's been, it feels three like fucking years. eight years. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like elite to us. <laughs> that is what I'm trying yeah. to say. It just makes you excited because if they have that much success with a below, at, well, well, actually, I'll scratch that. Uh, historically bad power play. It okay. makes you wonder what can they do with an average one. They're ninth in the league with a historically bad one. Are they fourth in the league with with an average one? Wait, hold on. Talk. I'm gonna go look at and see what their percentage is with Jamie Dries uh, with Jamie Drysdale in the lineup. So let me get back to you real quick. Well, have to think there's definitely some improvement there. We can hope. I, it really puts into perspective. So if you told me back in September that we were gonna have the second best PK in the league. I wouldn't – now, I wouldn't have said, oh, yeah, it makes sense. But I also wouldn't have thought you were crazy because we have Brad Shaw, we have John Tortorella, we have a bunch of dudes who are really good at killing penalties. So as much as that seemed like a reach in September, it's because I thought, oh, it's more like they're probably the 10th best penalty kill. Now, it turns out we're even better. What really shocks me, and this is really – what's fed into the record is they have been a phenomenal five on five team for a majority of the season. Like that, whether you want to look at it at goals or expected goals or possession numbers, no matter how you want to do it for a large part of the season, this team has been really good and beating good teams at five on five play. And if you told me that was going to happen in September, I would have thought you ingested some serious drugs. <laughs> and if I, let's say I did believe you, I would have thought that they would have been the most boring team imaginable to watch, <laughs> which, which is also not the case. Like the way that they win these games, the way that they generate offense, it, it's, it's fun to watch. It, it really is. Especially is like, there's been a, there was a dip from December 14th to probably like two weeks ago where they tried to be the more traditional John Tortorella team, where it was like, yeah, let's play defense super hard. Let's throw the puck off the ice and or throw the puck off the glass and go chase it down and let's go forecheck and pretend we're the Carolina Hurricanes, even though we don't have guys like that. And it went awfully for them because they don't have the horses for that. And it seems like in this recent stretch, one thing they've really done is they've gone back to their fastball which is literally a fastball. They are one of the most lethal rush teams in the NHL. Like they are right up there with the Devils and the Avalanche and the elite rush teams. They're not as north or not as 
East West, not as skillful as those guys yet, but it reminds me of like the golden Knights from three to four years ago before they brought in all their dudes. Like they, there was the start of something. They were a legit playoff team and they needed a few more guys to get to that elite level that they're at now. Now you can start to see the vision with the Flyers. They need one or two or maybe three more guys who reach that elite level who really turn them from a fun, off-the-rush, north-south team, basically a team full of Owen Tippets, to a team like the Colorado Avalanche who doesn't just get chances off the rush. They murder you off the rush. I'm glad you mentioned the the dip in the system for a little bit because I remember texting Stumps during all of that, very frustrated. Like, why are they going away from what worked now? They're placing an extra emphasis on on grinding it out. And I remember Torrell had a couple of quotes just like that, if I'm not mistaken, where he's like, down the stretch, you're going to need to grind it out. And it's, it's like, yeah, but the rush is, it's still working. <laughs> why did we go away from it? It's still working. It can get you to the dance. And maybe when you get to the dance, you could switch it up, but it'll get you there. You can ride that for the whole season. I, I really do think so. Yeah, like the Buffalo Sabres did it last year. They were freaking the most rush-centric team in the league just last year, and they didn't quite make the playoffs, but they were damn close. And if they had a goalie like Carter Hart, they sure would have. And you had the Avalanche, who the Avalanche ran into a lot of early exits because they weren't a – fully developed, fleshed out team and all that sort of stuff. But we're not here to be Stanley Cup contenders. If you could just get me to the playoffs and show me like proof of concept in the playoffs, as in like just getting me there, I I take that at this stage. We can worry about winning a Stanley Cup later. We don't have to like, okay, now we've proved for a month that we can play off the rush. So now let's you know, forecheck our asses off to prove that we can do that too. Why? We don't have the horses for it. We have the horses yeah. to play off the rush. Let's do that. It's funny because, like, the guys that are coming are, I mean, not guy like Mitchkov off the rush. I mean, we, like, we're not, we're currently doing that with the best rush teams in the league, like you just mentioned. And we really are. Like, we're not just saying that, like, being homers. Like, they are a sh- like one of the best rush teams in the league. And the fact that you're going to add a guy like Mitchkov in a year or two who is a demon off the rush and creates – I mean, he can either be the guy taking the puck off the wall or being the guy making the play off the wall to the guy. So, like, it, adding him to a rush-centric team with Avra Bank in two, three years, I mean, it's really exciting thinking about – Dude, what, the game's, the game's about to get so much easier for him oh, in that system, God. in this league. Yeah. It's about to get so much easier for him. Here's That's what people don't take into consideration with this whole, oh, but it's in the KHL. In a lot of ways, the KHL is harder on people like Mitchkov. It's harder to play Mitchkov's game in the KHL because, like, if you – Try and watch the four check systems. They're running through the neutral zone. It ain't even a one three one. It's like a one four. It's like everybody stand on the blue line and pray to God Matvey Mitchkov doesn't put you in a highlight reel. Like everybody yeah. is just scared to death of him taking their pants off. <laughs> and in the NHL, nobody plays that way. 
Even teams who play a 1-3-1, it's an aggressive 1-3-1. They're going to step up on him. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, the gaps are going to close faster. No, that's what he wants. He wants you to challenge him because that's when he can put you in a poster. Like, teams are going to get more aggressive on Matt Mitchkov, and Matt Mitchkov is going to throw himself a party. Yeah, I think I said that to Danny a couple of weeks ago. I really feel like I'm not saying the, the KHL is a harder league. But in terms of like defensively and the way they play, it's I feel like the NHL is a little bit more open, like you said. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying his transition is going to be easy, but it's why. And I don't mean to cut you off here, but no, you're good. It's why defensemen are so hard to develop in the KHL because like team defense is so much of a thing. Like everybody's playing defense over there. The forwards are the defensemen. And when you're a defenseman trying to hold somebody off at the line, you have like three guys immediately supporting you. And then you get to the NHL and you try to pull that shit in the NHL. And you're and all of a sudden you're one-on-one with Connor McDavid and you don't have that same lifeline because we don't play that way. We expect our defensemen to be able to hold their own with the best in the world one-on-one. And, they can't do it because they're not used to it. Yeah, that's so, a good point. I mean, that's why the more like has that transition. Mm-hmm. Like a I lot of the guys, a lot of the Russian defensemen, and there aren't many who have really come into the NHL and they're like pretty good now. A lot of them came up through the CHL. A lot of them came up as like imports, and I think the biggest reason for that is because they were at least in the CHL and it's junior hockey instead of professional hockey, but at least there they were asked to take people on -on one-on-one. They had to get used to the same style that they were going to be playing in the NHL, even if it was a bit slower and a bit easier, at least they were speaking the same language. Whereas in the KHL, they don't speak that language and it makes it harder on forwards, which is why you have guys like Kirill Kaprizov who like, they come in and their scoring average barely changes. Kirill Kaprizov as a rookie in the NHL was barely different from Kirill Kaprizov in his last year in the KHL. How old was he when he came over? Kaprizov, 23? 23, 24, something like that. Yeah, so he had plenty of time in the KHL to to, to mold his game. I forget who he, who he played for. Siska. Uh, Really? Yeah. That's not the same. Nah, Who's it's team? Uh, no, not. The that's the, team, right? that's based out of Moscow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ska's based out of uh, St. Petersburg. Still, like, the two biggest teams. So, in that way, it's like he played for the Yankees instead of the Red Sox. So, all in all, is what you're telling me is Mishkov's transition might be easier? <laughs> yes, I, I have a feeling that Mishkov's transition will be much easier than anybody is accounting for. And much like Zegers, you put him on the big stage, he might just take off. For it. <laughs> boys, he will take off. I want to get into some more of these questions that we have, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Um, Seamus with a quick one. When was the last time y'all had this much fun watching the boys? This is easy. Uh, mm-hmm. 2020 before COVID lockdown, which means we're another pandemic's about to hit. <laughs> yeah, so it was two months, like February, March. Well, no, no yeah. Was it February, yeah. March when they were like really, really good before that all happened? 
Yeah, I think probably then because they were just they were like the second best team in the league. And it was our first year starting the podcast. Yeah, the team had uh, sucked for a couple of years leading up into that. New coach, new regime. It looked like things were heading in the right direction at that time. That year was a lot of fun. But what about you, Derek? I'm going back further, not that much further, but I'm going back a couple of years further. Jeru's MVP season. I forget if it was. Uh, I think it was 17, 18. Yeah, or it should have been MVP season. Okay, two point season. Yes, where he got yeah. robbed of the MVP. But uh, that was the last time a team was that fun. And the reason I don't say the 1920 team is because stylistically, those guys did not play quite the same fun style of hockey that you see now from this team. Like that team was a lot more grindy, wear you down, absolutely try and bully you. And you could play a slower game with guys like Claude Giroux and Voracek around uh, – TK and Coots, but now I mean, this team just plays electric. I would say this team is a team is more fun to watch than that Jeru MVP season was. I'm saying that's the last time I had this level of fun because I had that level of fun following Jeru during the peak of his powers. But if you really asked me, like the just the team, when who was the last team? Flyers team that was this level of fun. My God, we're going back to like freaking Jeff Carter days, legitimately. Dude, maybe 2012. Yeah, we might be going back to 2012, 2011. Honestly, like when that. was the Yager Lee of uh, the, the yeah, Yager 2012. Year. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the last year. Yeah. I would go that far. Because Drew and Yager, that dynamic duo. Yeah, that, that might have been the peak and of Pronger. Yeah, and Pronger was still Pronger. Yeah, that was an elite, elite, elite year. Because I, I was just talking to Danny about it. I remember the Boston game. Was, I think it was the first game of the season when Giroux cut in on the goalie and, like, kicked it to himself and then scored. And then got uh, a yeah. beautiful feed from Yabra. I just – that was a fun year. I really wish they went further. I'm pretty sure that was the same year that Flurry couldn't stop a beach ball in the in the playoffs, right? Yeah, and wasn't that the year uh, Couturier had, like, a blown-out MCL or something and still nah. – Oh, no, that, that was, was a different one. That, that was, was 2018. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was way more recent. Who was I thinking yeah. of that absolutely murdered people in the playoffs in 2012? Somebody did it. Like, there was, like, was it Drew? What do you mean? Because 2012, we actually had, like, some level of playoff success, right? I'm not completely. Yeah, I think we, we, we won we the first round. In first round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it was Drew that went absolutely. Yeah, Drew. Like, that was Drew's, like, yeah. breakout. Uh -huh. I'm here. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That's when he laid Crosby out. That's that big hit. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. I don't know why I say Couturier. That season. <laughs> I just associate Couturier with killing penguins at this point, especially yeah, in the playoffs. Especially Malkin, dude. Malkin oh, hates God. that guy. He's got Malkin in China on a daily basis. He does. <laughs> He's saying, you're going back to Magda Togerhurst, buddy. <laughs> Claude Giroux in that 2012 Flyers team cemented my love for hockey. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I think that's my real answer, honestly. If I, the last time a team was this. It's a good question. It's a really good question because we just changed the answer of like three different times. We did. We just had a, a, a good 10 minute conversation about it. Well, that really, that really just speaks to how like piss poor of a decade we've had to it's be been real bad. with you. I mean, 
Like that was <laughs> eleven years ago, guys. It's so <laughs> it's insane to think about, yeah. dude. Bleed orange and black hits us with. If the Flyers make the postseason, who would you like to see at it? Why and what are you willing to spend? Flip side, Flyers miss the postseason or decide to sell at the trade deadline. Who is gone? Why and what are we looking to get back? Who are we going after in the draft? And let's fucking go, gents. Love you, Bleed. Okay. So I guess that's a loaded question. Like guys we want to get, and we kind of touched on this. All right, let's just get it out of the way real quick. I'm backing up the Brinks truck for Trevor's Egress. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. or, any, or any like timeline fitting center. Yeah. Anton Lindell is really fascinating to me. Uh, but that possibility, I don't know. Like it, it seems like he's doing good. Okay. Ish with the Panthers, but I feel like they haven't really given him the reins to take the next step. And they might be willing to do that, especially because they run whole ass NPCs on their back end. And like Sean Walker may legitimately be an upgrade in front of most of their guys with a couple of exceptions. Here's my thing with that question. I don't think they should change their strategy based on where they are in the standings in the playoff race. Like I think trade deadline come trade deadline comes. If you have an offer on the table for either Walker, like I'm sorry, maybe not Walton. Uh, Walker, Risto, maybe one of Walker or Risto, um, Atkinson, like any of these vets. I think no matter where they are, standings wise, you, you, you ship those guys off and you get a little bit younger in those spots. Um, but in terms of like who I would want if they would make a huge, like I, I, I said 10 minutes ago, I think the Zegers trade is a more of a a draft trade, and I think people could agree with that. But trade deadline time, I really don't think they're going to do much but sell. Either, even if they are in a playoff spot, I don't think they're going to buy anything. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, we're not making the type of moves to add to this team that you can really do at a trade deadline. The, this yeah. is the sort of stuff you want. You want an off season. You want to if they're going to go into the playoff, they're going to go into the playoff with the guys that got them there. They're not going to go out and grab a fucking a rental, yeah, a, 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 a Zucker. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's happening. Like that's 100%. not. Yeah. If anybody thinks they're going to go out there and grab like a fucking second line sniper, it's it put that dream to sleep because it's not happening. They're going to be in the playoffs with the guys that got them there: Bobby Brink, Tyson Forrester, those dudes. So, um, Jamie Drysdale, obviously. So I I, I don't think. Yeah, the thinking has to be at this point. You're not acquiring anyone who you don't think want to play alongside Matthew Mishkov. Like you have to, he has to play with Mishkov. Otherwise, why are we pursuing this? Now, if they make a trade where, like, it's a like Derek said when he first got on the pod, it's a 22 year old like that's going to be here now and in the future that's going to be playing with Mitch Cloth, like Danny just said, then, yeah, I mean, like, you might see a trade like that. Do, do those trades really happen around trade deadline time? No, not really. That's more of a draft trade again. But that's the only way I could see them adding a guy where we were like, holy fuck, we have this guy. Like, that's the only way it's a, whether it's, a, it's going to be a 22 or a 23-year-old. And it's not completely ridiculous because, I mean, I didn't expect Jamie Drysdale yeah. to become a flyer on a random night in January, and yet here we are. This yeah. is what we talked right. about, though. Like we, we talked about the opportunity, disgruntled RFAs or disgruntled organizations wanting to get rid of RFAs. Like, these opportunities present themselves often. You just need, as an organization, you need to be ready to pounce on them. 
And it looks like Danny Breer is willing to pounce on it from what we just saw. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely makes the most out of the situations he's dealt. And I'll give him credit. Like that was a, a shitty card to be dealt. You don't really see it happen in the NHL a lot. And he made the most out of it. You got a guy, Jamie Drysdale in here. So hats out. That's off to him for sure. I feel like he's shown creativity in pretty much every situation he's been in up until this point. I mean, he has a coach. He comes into the team. He has a coach who immediately wants him to get rid of like three players. Like, get him out of my locker room. Don't care what it takes. Get him out. And he makes it work. He gets creative with it. Now a trade gets mixed for Sandheim, obviously. But I think the three-team trade, the the failed trade with Krug, and now this with Drysdale and Derek is – had a theory of a potential Zegers trade that was in the works. Like if, if all these things and all these conversations are taking place, then I'm pretty confident going forward. I'm, I'm excited because we haven't had that level of creativity, that level of pouncing on something fun, something notable. We haven't had the feeling that when Elliot Friedman tweets out, this big name is available. Oh yeah. Danny's in on that. We haven't had that feeling. Probably since, I don't know, Paul Holmgren. I was just going to say Paul. Yeah, (laughs) it's been a long time. And now, I mean, with the qualifications that they got to fit the timeline and all that, I don't feel like I'm going out on a limb when I say, nah, that's a big name and Danny Breer is probably in on it. Whether or not he wins the bid, you can't win them all, but he's in there. He's making the calls. He's trying to make it happen. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what you want, especially in a, in, a, in a new GM. You want creativity, right? Absolutely. Jamie Martinez, hypothetically speaking, of course, who would you want to see the Flyers face in round one of the playoffs? I'm going to make mine short and easy. It's the New York <laughs> Islanders. <laughs> I don't think they'll get there. I think they're falling off a cliff right now and collapsing. But if they did get there and if I had to pick a team, I want it to be the New York Islanders. I'm still not over uh, the way 2020 ended. Still sour about it. Yeah, I think that's my answer. I mean, my other answer is that I still don't think we're at the point at this in we're at the point to where we can reasonably expect to make the playoffs, but it's different to be the team that's really worried about your opponent. Like Toronto's worried about who they're going to face in the playoffs because they agree they were making the playoffs since October. And there's a few teams like that. We're not at that level yet. But if you ask me who I really wanted to face, yeah, it'd be it'd be the Islanders. Partly because I think we can win that series. Partly because I'd really like to win that series. I mean, by the same logic, give me this Pittsburgh team. If they somehow, God forsaken, find a way to do it. I don't think they will, but give me that again. Yeah, that would be fun. Do you know who yeah, I would want? I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Do you know who I would want, bro? Who? And it would be hilarious because I really do think, like, on paper, they're 10 times better. But New, New Jersey? You don't play the game on paper. I would want Toronto. Just so we could send oh them home God. in the first round and Toronto fans would be like, no way Philly just fucking sent us home. They'd be fucking... Could you imagine us <laughs> sending Toronto John home? Tortorella against the Leafs again. John Tortorella sent the fucking Leafs home. Like, that would be <laughs> the best thing ever. So I would want Toronto if you really want to... I mean, you, you took the Islanders and they would be my pick because I want my yeah. get back. But other than them... Oh, I like that. Toronto. That would be, That would be so fun. And you know Toronto, the, the juggernaut 
they on the flip there. side, yeah. And on the flip side, I mean, you know, if we lose to the team that has Austin Matthews and Mitch Marder and William Nylander and John Tavares, uh, okay, it's just it is what it is. Like, it's that situation where th- there's no house pressure. Money. Yeah, it is house money. Like, we are not expected to win. I don't expect us to win. I don't think they would expect us to win. <laughs> and because of that, you don't, you never know what could happen. And if what everybody expects to happen happens, then nobody cares. But if it's an upset, well, it's a lot like the Panthers and the Bruins last year. It really sparked yeah. something. Now, I don't know if we're the Panthers because the Panthers were literally one year removed from a president's trophy. But yeah, the idea that you give an inch in the playoffs and it can turn into a mile real quick. That's very real. Yeah, I would have gone Toronto, dude. That would be so fucking yeah. funny. If you had to pick one team, I'm going to throw a inverse to this question. If you had to pick one mm-hmm. team that you wouldn't want, I know we're not, like you said, we're not in the position to be picking our opponent or what have Boston. you. But if you, but yeah. All right. Cool. I was going to say that one. I have too. PTSD from them, bro. That Just horn's been haunting me for like a decade, dog. Yo, I have a different team or another team that I would put in the one to face them category. And it's purely because I want to see Mitch Goff, what Mitch Goff is like now. Tampa. Because even if Kucherov daggers us, okay? Like, that's the oh, worst case God. scenario for facing Tampa. So Kucherov just daggers us. I can just sit here going, well, this is what Mitch Goff is going to do to other people. No, why the here. fuck would you want to sit through that? Are you, <laughs> are you insane? Well, what are you talking about? I love Kucherov, dude. I could watch him dagger. Oh, so do I. I don't want to be jaggered by him. <laughs> I would be. Yeah, I, I actually would be petrified going into a series against the. Oh, Lightning. cool. Not... Yeah. What? Wait. I'm sorry. Wait. Did you say that that's a series that I wouldn't want? Okay. No, no he does want it. He said. No, no, he yeah. Wait. Want why? Yes. Why? Why? My, my reaction's me, justified. Hold on. Now your reaction is justified, but I want to make something clear here. If I'm trying I'll to pick do a that series, to Boston and be equally as happy. <laughs> if I'm trying, <laughs> if I'm trying to pick a series and I actually think we could win, I am not picking Tampa. I'm just saying, if I had to pick a series, which I feel like could be a spectacle either way, where I, as a spectator of the sport, win in either scenario, there's two options. The Flyers pull off some miraculous run and actually manage to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. Great news, awesome story. Or the dude daggering us is Nikita Kucherov. And on a short list of guys, I could actually watch dagger us, and it's kind of fun. Yeah, Nikita Kucherov's on that short list. It's kind of like the Toronto theory, where you have literally nothing to lose, except Nikita Kucherov is more fun to watch dagger people. Than Austin Matthews? No. Ah, it's a good point. You do, they do have Austin That's your Matthews. boy. You just betrayed him. Well, Kutra's my boy too, okay? It's a battle of him over here. Like what? How am I supposed to pick my favorite child? If you had to pick between the two, who who would you start a a franchise? Between Kutroff and Matthews? Yeah. I mean Matthews just because of the age. I mean, no, I mean both same age. Oh, okay. Like they're coming into the league and we're gonna have them mm-hmm. for their whole yeah. career. Mm-hmm. Kutroff. Yeah. Danny? Has to be, right? Has to be. Has I mean, to be Kucherov. I, I think we would all I think we would all agree on Kucherov. I mean, I think the argument could be made for Matthews. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it 
a center who really impacts like people kind of forget Austin Matthews is not just like park and shoot guy. Like, no, this dude is I like Sean Couturier with a elite <laughs> wrist shot. Like this elite. dude's like a all over the place player, like constantly making defensive plays and then making offensive plays to set everybody up. And then somehow, some way he finds a way to shoot into the net. Like that's kind of Austin Matthews. Like just picture watching Sean Couturier, except he scores 60 goals a year. So that's (laughs) right. So I, Matthews, you could make a hell of an argument for him. I think the reason I lean towards Kucherov is just like, if I had to pick one player, in the NHL, and I guess you could say this about McDavid too. If I had to pick one player who could literally turn almost any team into an average NHL offense, like an like 15th in goals scored per year, yeah, Nikita Kucherov could do that with freaking fourth liners. It's incredible. Between the goals he scores, between the goals he's setting up for everybody else, like Nikita Kucherov and Nick Delorier on a power play. It's probably putting up NHL average numbers. Okay. <laughs> now you're stretching it. <laughs> <laughs> now I, I'm you, stretching it a little bit. But... Did you see that self pass he made in the zone a couple games ago? Like the spinorama yes. self pass. It was the funniest thing I've ever fucking seen in my entire <laughs> life, dude. And all that just to dump the puck in anyway. <laughs> it was so funny, dude. I was like, what the actual fuck did he just do? Damn, like, did you see that? I actually did not know, but what oh I, what I've God, seen him hilarious. do during like the dynasty run with the Lightning, what like the his level of play, what he transcended to at that point is he just hit a different level. Uh, I I have to go him, but I mean it's like picking between picking between two great franchise players. So. We're like asking who would win in a fight between Superman and Batman at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it'd definitely be uh, Kucherov for sure. But I love Matthews. I mean, he's one of my favorite, yeah. if not my most favorite, non-flyer out there. I, I I love I love his personality, love his shot. Obviously, he's electric. Does it in a big market? Um, for sure. Yeah, I love, love how Austin. I hot taked my way into us, you know, discussing Austin Matthews versus Nikita Kucherov. That that was great <laughs> content. <laughs> Like just hot taking our way into this. <laughs> That's what we do. Peanut Butter Wiz on Twitter says, "Who would you trade away to get assets for more young players?" We kind of already went into that one with our yeah deadline discussion. Supremo eighty five. What do you think about our forward prospects? Like, and I might butcher some of these names. Sulku, is that one right? I don't know. Sorry, Alex Harry Bump. Sulku. Yeah, yep. Alex Bump and Alex. Chernick? Is that pronounced yep. correctly? Mm-hmm. All right. How far away are they in your opinion? I'm going to be honest. After Mitchkov, the forward prospect pool ain't looking good. Yeah. I, I think I think that's... I like Chernick, though. I do like Chernick. He had that one clip where he looked like Nathan McKinnon out there, and uh, you know, <laughs> I, I don't need to see anything else. I'm I'm sold on him at least doing something in the NHL. But uh, very, uh, I guess Tumala, you can make an argument might do some things. Like there's some guys who you can say, eh, maybe he's a player worth yeah. talking about. But there is a need. 
for forwards who are not named Matvey Mitchkov in the future. For sure. Yeah. It's like, like that, like you don't want to go around and hyping up every prospect. And it's, it's hard not to as a Flyers homer as we Mm -hmm. all are, but like Alex bump has 15 points in what? 20 games in the, and in the, in college hockey right now for university of Michigan. Was that no Western Michigan? I'm sorry. Um, Wait, so did like you say fifteen goals or points? Fifteen points. Fifteen points. Five goals, ten assists, fifteen points in twenty games for them. So uh, like, that's so I good. Mean, it's okay. Yeah, it's good. Isn't he? Wait, how old is he? Uh, he was drafted okay, well, out of the uh, William draft, right? Okay, yeah. I I thought he was a little bit older. I thought he was like twenty, uh, like twenty two. He's twenty, so that's not bad. That's really not that bad. He's a twenty two over uh twenty two. 2022 pick, so better and than I expected. Just kind of pops. It's got a hell of a shot. Yeah, yeah, I've seen him at Dev Camp. Yeah, exactly. Uh, That's what I was Turnick. about to say. Every time he I like shows Turnick. up. Uh, yeah, I think he forgot to throw Barky in there. I guess you could add him. Oh shit! Yeah, that Barky. list as well. But like you guys were saying, it's it's no one that really like jumps off the page. Like he's a surefire NHLer. I mean, I think all of these guys, if they play NHL games, it's, it's a pleasant surprise. Yeah. Um, or or I should say, like they're long stays in the NHL. Yeah, um, I guess Barky would be our best shot at like an exception to that, or Tomala. Yeah, to Tomala. I mean, his redemption tour, man. It's been incredible. I really don't. I mean, I'm looking at the the the, the uh, forward prospects right now. Like right side, Mishkov, Tuamala, Devin Kaplan, Lexell, Alexis Vendron. Um, the center prospects are Lazinski, Barkey, Wisdom, John Randall, Avon, Massimo Rizzo, Cole Knubel, Ryan McPherson. The left wing prospects are Elliot Dornay, Elliot Dornay. Chernick, Bump, Gardner is a vet. He doesn't even count. And then Soku. So, yeah, dude. Like, other than Mitchkov, I really do not have – like, Mitchkov, Tuamala. And, I mean, I do personally like Devin Kaplan and Barky. So, like, those four. Oh, yeah, Kaplan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's I definitely like one you can add to that list. Yeah, I like him also. So, like, not, like, a ton of high-end prospects other than Mitchkov and – I mean, I wouldn't say Tuamala's a high-end guy. But other than Mitchkov, it's not very – deep if you will but i mean hey we can we can work on that yeah and i mean our defense at this point and i'm talking like prospects and even guys who are either here or very close man that's looking real good so very deep one of them is definitely going to be gone but yeah then so said next question from black stitch hockey it's hard to tell this early, but with his excellent performance in the VHL as such a young goalie in mind, what are the chances we one day see Yegor Zavragan? <laughs> I don't know how to say his name. As a reliable starter on Broad Street. If you asked me before the year, I'd have said no chance. But then the kid went and put up legitimate video game numbers. Yeah, like, dude. Have you seen uh, Danny, have you seen the numbers this kid is putting up in Russia? You want me to read not, it? No, no you read, read them all. It? All right, so he's played in, in the VHL and the MHL 
Uh, in the VHL, he has 12 games played, and he has a 1.27 goals against average with a 9.53 save percentage. And then in the MHL, he has nine games played, has a 1.63 goals against average, and a 9.45 save percentage. Damn. I <laughs> Legitimately, he's just dominating he's 18. down there. That's like Carter like, Hart. Carter Hart level, better. Everett Silvertips numbers. Yeah, better. Especially because, like, I mean, he hasn't shown up in the KHL yet. He hasn't shown up in the top pro league yet. But in the VHL, he is against men, and they have yeah. absolutely no idea how to score on him, apparently. Like, they think they're facing Marty Brodeur or Dominic Hasek <laughs> in his prime. Like, they, they're absolutely baffled by him, and he's 18. So I I haven't seen him. I haven't seen a lot of him where I could definitively say, oh, yeah, those numbers are for real. I mean, I... I don't think the numbers can be outright fraudulent, but I can't say that the numbers are or are not exaggerated because I haven't really seen Savrag in play. But yeah. I mean, you put up a 953 in any league and you're raising my eyebrows and thinking you might be something. For sure. And it's hard to, to, to gauge, uh, goalies like i don't it, even it is that's why i really talk don't about them look, yeah i don't i don't look too deeply into goalies because of that reason i mean we have like four or five goalies in the system that are all promising in a way and but you just never know who's gonna be the guy like i didn't know erson was gonna be this good and i know it's still early in his career but it's I just you, you never know i know he had a good like or an impressive rise but you just you can never tell you never tell who's going to have success here, who isn't. I try to break it down to traits when I'm looking at goalies. Like, I, I just look at all the best goalies in the league right now. And every single one of them are freaking elite athletes. Andre Vasilevsky, Igor Shosturkin, UC Soros, uh, Ilya Sorokin. The only notable exception to the rule is Connor Hellebuck. And I even think Connor Hellebuck gets kind of misunderstood sometimes because he's kind of mobile in the sense that, like, he tracks the play so well on his feet that even if he isn't by the textbook the best skater you've ever seen or the best mover you've ever seen, he's just so ahead of the play that he looks like a three times better skater and four times better mover than he actually is. So even though he's an exception to the rule, he really isn't. And if I'm looking at who fits that profile the best out of every goalie in our organization right now, it's Alexi Kolosov. That dude moves like fucking water. It's insane. Like some of the, just the moves he's making down in the KHL right now. I think his numbers are partly affected by him playing for a team that, not quite as ass as Soshi is certainly <laughs> shaking the Richter scale with their assness. So, uh, do you want me to read his numbers real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so with uh, Minsk, he has a 2.246 goals against that range and a 901 save percentage. So, it's not that bad. It's that's not bad at all. I mean, like, imagine how bad they are. So, like. What's he, 21? Yeah. Imagine a 23-year-old goalie on, like... uh, 22. 
22 year old goalie. So let's move it up a couple of years to make up for the fact that it's the NHL, right? So let's say a 24 year old goalie is on the Anaheim Ducks putting up a 901. I'm I'm at least raising my eyebrows a little bit. Like, hey, hold on, wait, that, that kid might be yeah, good. For sure, it's it, it's good. Like, I'm I was speaking on a, on a on a pure like developmental standpoint because I I don't know too much about goalies, so I really don't talk about them, and it's hard to gauge where they like how they develop because they like you you think defensemen develop weird, goalies develop ten times weirder, you know. So oh, I yeah. try to stay away from like, oh, that guy's gonna be really good because I really have no fucking idea. Um, but is, there hasn't been a prospect, a goalie prospect that I've seen in a really long time that I'm talking about Kolosov that I've been like, okay, yeah, I think he's going to be in the NHL, like 100%. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so hard. And I, I just mean, don't see him not being in the NHL. Agreed. Agreed. He, he's 100% an NHL goalie, and it's hard to say that about any, any goalie outside yeah. of the NHL, really. Like, Think about it. How many top prospects are, and I mean like top goalie prospects, are there at any point where you're like, oh my God, they're going to be in the NHL one day? There's like, like Askarov. Yeah, like, you know, Wallstead. we can list them off and we won't need more than our two hands. Ten mm-hmm. fingers. Oh, sure. We will not need that. And that's kind of crazy because you could do that with skaters and you would need you know, multiple people to use both their hands. Like, there's 40 Wait. guys at any given point. Yeah, so I mean, like, do you know why that's so crazy that there's only a, a handful of guys that we can list? Because there's fucking 30-plus teams in the NHL. You know what I mean? There's 32 teams. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Like, obviously, they all have goalies, so like they come from somewhere. That's why, like, it's so, like, they, they develop so weird where you don't know who's going to become what. You know what I mean? So it is wild. Yeah, but like you guys said, every now and again, you'll get a Spencer Knight type where it's yeah. like, okay, he's going to go high in the draft. It's just who's going to take him. Um, last question we have from Jimmy Apologist at Jamie Drysdale 9. <laughs> nice. Where do you think Jamie would ultimately end up in the lineup? Which D pairing would he end up with? And which one do you guys think he has the most potential with? Oh, I like that question. That's a good question. Same. Okay. Ideally, I mean, if he develops into what we think that he is, and that's a 1D rover, obviously the top pair with – I don't know if Sandheim is your long-term top pair partner with him, but if every, if everything develops right and Bradshaw does his things with Drysdale, he's definitely top pair defenseman for sure. Absolutely. I mean, even the organization on the day they traded for him came out and called him – what they hope to be a future top pair defenseman. And that's very meaningful because if you're a hockey organization, just speaking generally, you always try and undersell it because you don't want to come out and say, this kid's generational. This kid is the greatest prospect we've ever seen. And then all of a sudden he's the second pair guy. So like they try to be conservative with what they're saying, even as they try to sell you on the player. So there's a middle ground they want to find. If the middle ground they found for Jamie Drysdale is that they hope he's going to be on their top pair, holy shit, they have a freaking generational grade on him. Mm. <laughs> and I, I'm being a little facetious, but you can see the vision. Like They must really think he's special if that's where they're going immediately. Yeah, I think we're – because they're not saying, oh, worst case, he's on our top pair. They're saying like, oh, yeah, like a 50th percentile middle case outcome, we see him on our top pair. 
That means like if things go really, really well, you're, you were talking about a very special player. As do you far think as... That they, do you, I'm sorry to cut you off. Do you think they, they were saying that? And I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. That they were saying that a little bit more than they usually would because they just traded away the second best prospect for him? Ah, uh, maybe as a way to like PR. Not, I mean, not PR control because I don't think people were necessarily mad about it because it is Jamie Drysdale. But like, if if they come out and like, yeah, we think this guy's gonna be a good like top four player, people are like you just traded away your number two best prospect for a guy you think is gonna be a top four. You know what I mean? Like, I definitely think that not completely, but I think if they come out and say anything less than yeah, we we think this guy's gonna be a one one D. Top pair of player, I think people would have been like, dude, what, what the fuck did you just do? You know what I mean? I feel like there's a chicken and the egg thing here, too, in the sense that, like, yeah, I wouldn't come out and say, oh, yeah, I, I feel like I just traded my uh, number two prospect <laughs> for a top four guy. But that's also yeah. because I wouldn't trade my number two prospect for a top four guy. Like, I wouldn't come out and say that sort of thing because I would have made sure that I traded that guy for a guy I genuinely believe that in like a middle case scenario is going to be on my top pair. So it's chicken and the egg. I traded him because I genuinely believe that. And therefore I'm saying it partly because I traded for him, but also partly because I genuinely believed it. And to your credit, he did cut a reporter off and I'm talking about Briere. And when they were like, do you think this, like you, you, they were like, you always talk about adding elite high end talent. Do you think this is? And he was like, yes, Jamie is elite high end talent. <laughs> so he definitely like had this kid. Too. He was for like, sure. for that question, he was like, please let me say this kid's the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely, yeah, he was like, like, we jumped at the opposite when we heard his name. Yeah. You, could t- you could just see the excitement on him. We heard Jamie Drysdale's name came up, and we had Cutter in the cage. <laughs> we would have sent William to Magnetogers. He said, we didn't even watch the World Juniors. <laughs> we I were did. watching Ducks games. We were watching Ducks games. <laughs> we said William can stay in Sweden if it means Jamie Drysdale. It is kind of crazy to say we have him still. Like, I still hasn't hit me. Right. I've only seen him for two cool. games, but. All in all, though, what a fun year. Like, this is so refreshing. Great year. Like, the Flyers are relevant again. They're back. It, it's fun, man. Big yeah, moves. So. Stealing headlines, whether it's good or bad. I love it. Awesome. I'm here for it. I mean, we've been going for almost 90 minutes, and we've it's like we haven't even fully talked about everything we could talk about. Like, we barely talked about the team actually played hockey games. And we kind <laughs> of, like, gently glossed over that fact. Yeah, they've been actually playing and winning at the game of hockey. I mean, so... I mean, we did a actually, little bit. We did go we, into we, depth. We talked about it a little bit, but, like, we haven't talked about the fact that Morgan Frost's balls finally dropped. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he, dude, he's been ever since that meeting with Torts. Ever since that meeting with Torts, he's been lights out. He really has. He, yeah, I have a stat like right discovered here. Discovered himself. Yes, please. Right, let's break out some frost propaganda. So when, I mean, it's not an insane stat, but when since he went to the office, we all know that was January second. He has two goals, three assists, five points in seven games, and that's fifth on the team. So not crazy, but like he has gained traction each game since then. So definitely something to point out and the points kind of undersell it like 
He has been all oh, over the place. I mean, oh my God, he is a one-man force in transition. He is making plays to everybody, like uh, Corey Schneider. I, I that might be how you pronounce his last name, but uh, shutdown line on Twitter slash X does uh, his microstat tracking for the entire league, and he kind of goes in game by game, tracks like scoring chances and zone entries and defending your blue line and all that stuff. It's really great content. Mm -hmm. He did the Flyers and the Blues game, so their most recent game. Morgan Frost led the whole team and both teams. He led the whole game in game score. Not Travis Konechny, not Robert Thomas, not Jordan Cairo, Morgan Frost because yeah. he was everywhere, like eight zone entries, four zone entries leading to scoring chances, that all of these plays and passes he's making off the rush, weaponizing his combination of skating and puck skills and IQ. It is everything we were kind of praying for for five years. It is finally happening. And uh, it's different in the sense that when this used to happen, with Morgan Frost, it was like, it didn't happen in volume. Like you would see him have a game where he made two or three plays where it's like, yeah, that's the Morgan Frost I want to see. But nowadays, mm -hmm. oh my God, he's doing it 10 times a game. He's doing it in volume. Right? Mm -hmm. He's doing it consistently. Finally being consistent with it for sure. I mean, I, that's the whole thing with it. Like, just dude, we know you have the skill. We know you could be that guy. Just do it consistently. And I don't know what the fuck he said to Tortorella, but ever since then, man, he's been a different player. He should have had four assists alone in that St. Louis game. St. Louis St. Louis. <laughs> that must have been like an epic blow-up on Morgan Frost's part. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't want to speculate, but whatever the fuck was said in there worked because he, he, he looks like a different fucking player. He really does. Yeah, like I would have, I would pay to be a fly on a wall of that conversation. For sure. So much money. So much money. <laughs> I agree. It was definitely a heated conversation. I mean, dude, he's in his prove it years, his years where he wants to make the most money and he's, he's getting his chances slipping away from him. He's benched like 10 plus times. I mean, you have to think I'm, I'm glad he showed that frustration. Like at some point you're thinking, dude, it doesn't fucking matter what you want to see from me because you're staple me to the bench. So how in the fucking hell could I possibly show it? Maybe that's what he wanted to see. Maybe he just wanted to see, uh, while his career with the Flyers is slipping, if he would fight for it, and he fought for it, maybe that's all yeah. he wanted to see. Maybe, maybe. I'm so glad to see him and Joel Farabee succeeding the way that they are, though. Oh, that Joel's been you're great. in my mind because I was going to Farabee next. Like we have to talk about yeah. elite five-on-five scorer Joel Farabee. Love to see five it. points away from a career high, dude. He's like in half the game in the league in total five on five points. There, there was a stat that came out a little bit ago. And it's wild. I, yeah. If I, I can name the names who are on that list just off the top of my head right now Nathan McKinnon's at the top of the league because he always is. Uh, Nikita Kucherov is in second place. And then Connor McDavid is tied with Elias Pettersson. And then you have a guy by the name of Joel Farabee right after those dudes. And I'm not talking five on five per 60 minutes. I'm not talking about rates. I'm talking about total cumulative points over the season. Joel Farabee, 
has scored at five on five at the same level as Connor McDavid and Elias Pedersen. That's crazy. It's actually fucking nuts. <laughs> and the Coots effect? <laughs> the Coots effect? And I I feel like the next name on that list really exemplifies how he's doing it because right below him is Jake Gensel. Him and Jake Gensel are super similar players. Yeah. Just like off the wall, supremely intelligent. Doesn't uh I don't they're not all over the puck. They're not like, you know, not the best skaters. Yeah, they're not carrying the puck end to end. They're not doing all that. They just Mm-mm. they touch the puck a lot. They get to the good areas of the ice, so to speak. And then once they have that puck in the right area, then they make the right play. And it's just mm-hmm. rinse and repeat. It's a really good comparison for him, too. Jake Gensel. Yeah. And, like you know, we got his Crosby coming. Matt Vemichkov. I can't wait till he's fucking donning orange and black, man. I know. And it, it's so funny because it, for all the guys you're excited to see uh, Michkov play with, like Sean Couturier, and now Jamie Drysdale, I, I feel like if I had to guess the guy who might really kick off with him, it's Joel Farabee because Joel Farabee yeah. might be one of our only dudes who's really seeing what Michkov is seeing. He's one of the only guys speaking that same language. Put a center within that that can shoot, and that's a hell of a fucking line, dude. Oh, and it doesn't even have to be like, you know, the greatest center of like A plus guy. Like, I get me freaking Shane Pinto from Ottawa, okay? He's coming back soon, ain't he? Let him be the trainer back for those two. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's back already. Yeah, he's back. So, you know, get his skating legs under him. He shouldn't cost all that much. He's pretty young. He can be like the freaking Ryan Hartman between Zuccarello and Kaprizov. For sure. For sure. We'll see. Danny Breer's got something up his sleeve. Yep. And, you know, that's assuming they don't just go get me Trevor's egress. <laughs> it will happen. It will happen. I'm putting that in the universe. I, I mean, I'll give them my ankle. Like, I mean, whatever <laughs> it takes, dude. If that'll get the trade done, sure. I'm willing to do it. <laughs> Same. You need both. You need both. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, boys. This was episode 105. We're gonna wrap it up here. Derek, thank you once again for joining us. It's always thank a pleasure. Been awesome. You can follow us on the socials at the Liberty L. Follow us on Twitter or X at TLY Danny, at Chris Stumps, and at Suitable Alias. Go floor.